Pat Sheedy, good afternoon. You're welcome. Thanks, Brendan. Good afternoon. When did you get out of prison, Pat? Uh, the 9th of August last year. Okay. And while you were there, uh, you wrote a memoir. It's called uh, 100 to 1, 100 Convictions, 1 Million Euro, The True Story of a Compulsive Gambler. And you will admit yourself, it's the story of a compulsive gambler and the story of an inveterate con man as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, will we start at the beginning? Yep. So you kind of put the root of your addiction down to uh, self-esteem issues and a kind of a need to be liked and accepted and that, which I, does it go back to your school days kind of? Right back to then, yeah. And it was it was only while I was serving this prison sentence that I actually realised that. And I, I, I did a lot of work with an addiction counsellor in prison that would have been different to any other kind of treatment that I had done up to that point. I'd done a couple of residential treatments, but she made me look at things in a different perspective. She made me go right back to to a very young age. And when I started to write the book, I started to remember back as early as I could. And, you know, things that probably sound very petty and, and very small to a lot of people. But I had a huge stigma about having curly red hair, freckles and having to wear national health glasses in school. Right. I was laughed at, I was bullied, I was slagged and I never quite felt that I fitted in in that kind of environment and it really kind of started from there because I can trace back my behaviour to well before I put on my first bet. Yeah. And what was the, be- we'll, we'll come to the first bet, what was the behaviour? Just the, the wanting to be part want, of something and, and wanting, the wanting to be popular and people pleasing. Yeah, yeah. And tell me about then about the first time you walked into a bookies and you found home, kind of. Yeah, I suppose it, it was just a, like, back then bookies were a completely different thing than they are today. Like, there were a small pokey room, there was no televisions, there was just gangs of men smoking cigarettes and reading newspapers on a wall, chatting with each other. Nobody really paid me any real attention. They never really judged me. They never slagged me about the red hair, the glasses, the freckles, all that sort of stuff. Um, and they spoke to me on their level and I liked that. Yeah. So here yeah, you were accepted. And a hint of what was to come, you went into place a bet for your dad that day yeah. and you actually tried to scam him. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, a, a 30p bet he asked me to do for him. And back then... When you were placing a bet, you'd write it out on a on a docket, which would have had a sheet of blotting paper underneath it, and you would have got a duplicate copy. And I remember I put on his bet for 10p instead of the 30p, and then on the duplicate copy, I changed the one to three and brought it home to him, and he thought that the bet was for 30 pence. Yeah. Um, but he won. He won, yeah. <laughs> he only got a third of what he won, and yeah, there was hell to pay for that. There's another kind of seminal day here as well I think you were about 15 were you and you had a, a 100 to 1 a kind of, some kind of accumulator yeah. came in for you I can imagine the you can practically see parts of the brain lighting up there tell me about the effect that has again I, I, I never knew anything about the effect on the brain that gambling actually had until very recently yeah um, but yeah it, it makes total sense like back then when I did that bet I remember I just picked four horses. I knew nothing about them. I was never any good as a gambler. Like I, my friends would tell you that I'm a hopeless one. Um, 
I picked horses back then because I heard guys talking about them in the shop or I liked the sound of the names and I just literally wrote out four of them. And the type of bet was that all four had to win. If they did, the odds were big. And there was a space, a good gap between the times of the races. And the first one won. It was okay. The second one won. Even better. The third one won and that kind of created a bit of a bit of a buzz, a bit of anticipation, but word had kind of spread throughout the shop as well that, okay. that there was a, a so bet going. So I'm the man, I'm the centre of attention and I loved it, you know. And then the fourth one came in and I was being hoisted up in the air. There was roars and shouts and screams. and Like, okay, it was, I, got, I remember I got £51 back for it. And £51 in 1984 to a 15-year-old kid is a hell of a lot of money, you know, a hell of a lot of money, you know when you look back at what the price of a pint or a packet of fags was back then or whatever. And um, yeah, for me, that was just it. I just walked home then and I just decided that it's this, it's going to be like this every time I go in. Yeah, yeah. So so into the 80s then, you left school, you got a job, you're gambling away and you, you say in the book you felt invincible in a way. How does the gambling start spiralling out of control? When you lose. With me, and again, I, I, I stress this, more people can gamble than those that can't. You know, I don't, I don't judge anybody who gambles anymore. You know, um, it's like me. I can take a pint and I can leave a pint. Um, gambling is a huge problem for me and it's a huge problem for compulsive gamblers. What basically for me, it's, it's, it's loss chasing. Um, okay. And when I run out of money, I go back to put on a bigger bet to recover what I lost. Then that loses. I put on even more money, um, might run out of money for that day. Then I'd be scheming in my mind, how am I going to get money for tomorrow? I'd get the money for tomorrow. I'd lose again. And it was ingrained in my mind all the time that, OK, this is just a bad streak. The big streak okay. is going to come. So there is an outcome in your head, a successful outcome, which is what, that you, you make up all your losses and... Yeah. Yeah, but not stop then. You become totally deluded. Like yeah, I, yeah. I, I became completely deluded in, insofar as I started to believe that I knew what I was doing. I started to believe that I could read form. I believed that I could understand sports in a way that I'd be able to. And, and I, I yeah. genuinely thought for a long time that I wasn't going to lose with any bet I put on. But you were. Oh, yeah. And, and then, how, so uh, it's, it's a big line then, okay, like you've done that thing with the changing the slip on the father. Mm -hmm. It's a big line to cross I think the first uh, the first uh, kind of uh, thing you mentioned in the book is about a friend of yours, a neighbour, you're in their house. Yeah. And tell us what you did. I took uh, I took a cheque out of the back of their chequebook that was lying on the on the table. I removed it from the back because I figured it would take ages for them to to find out. You you went to you two then with a friend of yours. I thought that was just I mean, yeah. In a way, in a way, it's it's it like, despicable. There's there's, no, yeah, I know. Yeah, there's no, yeah. There's no like there's worse way. things people have done, but there's, there's no something way, about no, that. There's no other way of describing. Yeah. So yeah. just just tell the story if you don't mind. I I went to a concert with him. He was asleep while he was asleep. I took his ATM card from his wallet because I knew what the pin code number of it was, and I took money out of his account and gambled it that very day when we got home. Yeah, and he noticed ultimately. Ultimately, obviously. yeah, of course yeah. he did. Yeah. yeah. So you're burning bridges left, right and centre, yeah? I burnt 
every bridge that I could burn at the time, yeah. Did you give a damn about anyone, though, about any of the, your victims and these things? Were you thinking of them? No, to be honest, at the time, I, I was of a different mentality. I was, um, I was genuinely of the opinion that I'd be able to pay a lot of people back out of winnings. Um, I also used my parents to a despicable degree insofar as I was pulling strokes left, right and centre and people were ringing the house looking for money. They're, they were sending the guards out. The guards are saying, right, you're going to be charged unless you pay this back. I went to my parents willingly, knowing that they'd bail me out. Yeah, and your mother particularly. Mother or, and father, or, yeah. And your grandfather. Yeah, not my grandfather. Sorry, sorry, yes, your, your, yeah. your mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and like some of it as well, you kind of think, well, of course you're going to be caught. Tell me about how you used to scam the banks. Like, it wasn't a sophisticated scheme, like. No, I, 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 um, I basically just opened accounts and told the manager that I was coming into money, be it from the sale of a house that I had or something along the line. And, and uh, I just needed a short term overdraft just to get me through the next few days or few weeks or whatever. And they handed it out. I mean, it was a lot more, it was a lot less stringent back then, I suppose. Yeah. But still. Um, you must have broken your mother's heart. I like, did time several, time several times, yeah. and my father's, and yeah. my my family's, and my friends. You know, I, I, I have no excuse. I, you know, I, 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 I can't hide behind the addiction. You know, fully. It was why I did the things. I like. I, I never, I never did anything for money other than to gamble. Like every penny that I would have taken or every penny that I would have gone stolen would have went directly straight into the bookies within minutes of me doing it. Um, like I wasn't buying myself flashy cars or, or, yeah. or, or going on holidays or anything out of it. I, I did it all purely out of addiction. But at the same time, you know, there are other addicts out there that don't behave like I do. So I have to I have to own that. I have to accept it. And how are you in yourself while this is going on? Like... You're not enjoying it, presumably. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you must hate yourself for what you're doing, particularly to your to your parents, yeah. but friends and everything. Yeah. I only very really recently realised that I've never actually lived properly. Wow. Until now. I, I, I had no, even in the periods where, the long periods where I wasn't gambling, I wasn't living. I, I didn't have a life. I didn't, I didn't function like normal people function. I didn't do the th- things normal people do. Um, Explain that a bit to me. I suppose it's it's kind of hard to explain. I I kind of lived in my own world, you know. I, I lived in my own dream world to to a point, um, and the self esteem issues that were there were always with me. You know, like I said, they, they they were with me all the time, and there was still always the need to be the man or to be like, even in the period where I wasn't gambling for a long time after I went into treatment in 1991, I still had to be seen to be something that I wasn't. Like I got a job in Dublin. I worked my way up through that job. I became very successful at it. I, I, I had the five series Beamer. I had the flashy suits. I had the lovely apartment in Castle Knock. I was, I was doing everything basically that I wanted and I thought yeah. that that was the way life should be that's the way I always wanted and life. you weren't gambling for a long time no, then. not at that yeah. time no no 
but I was still I was still behaving in a way that was kind of addictive behaviour, if you can understand. Like okay. a dry drunk, really, yeah. I suppose. Like you know, like an alcoholic that is behaving like an alcoholic without taking the drink. I still had all the the desires to be something, to be a flash Harry, to be the man that can get this, get that, get the other thing. I just wanted friends. I wanted everybody to look up to me. And now I, I I'm I'm the polar opposite today. Like I, I, I understand what I have today. I understand who's important in my life and who isn't. Um, but it took me an awful long time to realise that. Okay. So gambling was a symptom of Gambling was the way else. I gambling was the way I acted out. Gambling was what I used as a cushion to hide behind other issues that were going on with me. <coughs> Excuse me. Just um, before we you, we got into the 90s, there's a very stark um, wake-up call you thought it would have been. Is this, is this hard? No. Oh, no, sorry, I thought you... No, 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 you're fine. You went into rehab at 22. Yeah. Uh, I think mainly to, kind of to impress the Georges a lot. Oh, yeah, was, totally, where, yeah. where you go into totally, rehab yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. Your mother was invited in for a family session. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah, Wednesdays. Wednesdays would have been family days in the treatment centre. And on family days, the people in the centre had to sit and listen to what family members have to say about how you affect them. And um, yeah, that was that was very hard to hear and hard to look at because she didn't hold back, my mother, you know. She let rip. And... Um, just listening to to what I did to her and to what I was doing to her. You know, it hurt. But at the same time, again, I'm sitting here telling you it hurt. Yeah. It didn't stop me. You know, it still didn't stop me. Um, It stopped me for a long time. Like I said, after that treatment centre, when I came out of that treatment centre in in November 91, I didn't gamble again until 2003. Wow. Um... So, you know, it did it did me a lot of good and I suppose I, I did do a lot of re- reflecting, but I did a lot of the things that I was told to do by the treatment centre and did them kind of regimentally. Like I, I'd be I'd be fairly stubborn, I suppose, insofar as if I'm if I'm doing something, I'd be a bit of a perfectionist about doing it a certain way or making sure that it's done properly. And if I'm told to do something by an expert I'd generally listen to what they have to say. So I, I worked that programme and I worked it quite well for a long time. Um, but still, there was the underlying issues with me inside that I never really addressed. And it was kind of when something would go wrong or that, that you'd go back to gambling then, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Once there was any kind of challenge in yeah. life, yeah. Yeah, and complacency. The first time it was complacency, you know. Um, I genuinely thought I had it beaten. I genuinely thought I was on top of it and could control it. After staying away from it for 12 years, I figured that's it. And my arrogance came back in because I would have had a lot of pride and a lot of arrogance as well. And I could convince myself of anything just as easily as I convinced people that I would steal money from. And I had convinced myself that, you know, okay, you have a few quid in the bank, you've saved it up over the years, but you can do this. No, it's, 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 it just... It's, How quickly did you burn through your savings? Uh, in, in, in a matter of months. I mean, when, when I remember, I remember when I stopped gambling in 91, 
I suppose my bets would have been around twenty pounds per bet or whatever the case may be. It would have been a lot of them, but there would have been maybe twenty pounds in size or whatever. I remember the first bet that I did when I when I when I slept in two thousand and three, first bet was one hundred and fifty quid straight away, and after that it just grew and grew and grew. Um, I, I remember being told that an addiction grows in you and it keeps growing in you no matter how long okay. you're around, yeah. and that's true, you know. That's true. Because so 12 years of white knuckling it and you'd saved up all this money, yeah. been a good functional yeah. person. And I was able to go lead. on three or four holidays a yeah. year. I was able to drive the flashy car. I was going away on weekends with the lads. I, I was, I had everything. Yeah. You and know. then bang, that's all gone. Wiped out in yeah. the space of, I suppose, 12 months after I'd started back. I was on bordering on Skid Row again, kind of within 12 months. Is gambling a more destructive addiction from that point of view in terms of annihilating money? For money, yeah. yeah. Like if I was an alcoholic, I could get by on a bottle of whiskey a day, maybe 20 quid, until I drink it, pass out, go to sleep till the next day. Granted, I'm killing myself physically. Um, but I've had days where... <laughs> I've had days where you fall off the chair if I told you how much I actually well, gamble. Tell me. Well, just to give you an example, I suppose, I, I could... When I was gambling back in the day when I was living up here and things might have been bad for me, I could remember maybe having three euros in my pocket or something on a Thursday, getting paid on a Friday. And if I went into a bookies with the three quid and turned it into 20, so I'd have enough for a nice dinner, a fish and chip, I'd be ecstatic, I'd be over the moon. But I could get paid on the Friday and I worked in a good job where I would have been worked on commissions and bonuses and things like that. And I often walked out of there with two and a half or three grand wages on a Friday. And I quite often would have turned that two and a half to three grand into maybe ten. And I wouldn't have give a shit. Is it? Yeah. It wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't have you know, it, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have made a difference. So there's a there's a huge mental illness to gambling addiction. Huge. Yeah. And again, like look, you're not presenting yourself as a victim, I know, because you had a lot of other victims as well. The scamming Continued as well, yeah. like when, like when you were out in bail for a yeah. scam, you'd you'd yeah. do another one. Yeah. Like, t- tell and, me and the kind of stuff you were up to at this stage. I suppose everywhere and anywhere I could get it. I I like I I would have built up kind of a large client base of work people that I would have known. I would have rang them with a sob story about, oh God, I'm out your way now. I'm after having a problem with my car. Can you throw me a few quid? I'd call into their office. They give me a couple of hundred quid. Now nine times out of ten, I'd end up paying it back. Um, but at the same time, it was just one endless scam. And that's what my life was at the time. And what was the one with the World Cup tickets? That was the later one. Um, I was in England at a weekend. I was actually going to a match myself and I had tickets for a, I had tickets for a match that was on, a different match that I was actually going to and I literally was looking to give them away. And... I met a guy on the train that was going to that match and I just got chatting to him. He was a nice fella. I gave him the tickets. He was delighted. And he looked me up on social media after that. And he just said, look, if there's anything you can do for me to help me out with the World Cup tickets. Um, and of course, I instantly then thought, here we go, here's an opportunity. Because I did have access to tickets. Like, I, I would have had a lot of people in know that I could have called up and maybe given me tickets from time to time. Like, I, everything wasn't a scam. Like, you know, there would have been times where I actually got things from people that I'd promised them. But with this guy, literally, he just said, oh, give me your bank account and I'll wire money over to you. And next thing, he was just wiring me over money. And I was going, Jesus, here we go. And I did that to him maybe three or four times. And then 
it got working in my head. Jesus, there's money to be made here. And I did it with others. You know? And these people are all just rubes. Random, you, like, completely just, random and people. And they're just like, yeah. they're all just a mark. Like Completely like, random people. Person. I don't... They would have been involved with rugby clubs and they would have been, yeah. Yeah. And then like, stuff like as well, like some of it, no, look, you'll admit yourself, sounds a bit kind of, um, despicable, like, like looking for free phones and stuff mm. from uh, companies, but kind of because you're doing a documentary about yeah. sick children and that. Well, that, that wasn't quite as it came out. Okay. Um, that was misreported at the time. But okay. it, it's, I'm still not trying to change the fact that I, you know, that I, I did look for them, I did get them. It, it feels like it was almost a relief to you when you ended up in prison, was it? Oh yeah, well it was. It was there was a huge inevitability about it. I mean, it was something. It was a day that I knew was coming. For the bones of thirty years, one way or another, I knew I was always going to end up there. Um, you can't, you can't live your life the way I lived mine, and you can't behave the way I behaved without expecting it. How how did you fit in in prison? You weren't a typical kind of prisoner, were you? No, I wasn't, but I suppose that's where that's where my skills, shall we say, might have come in of of benefit to me. I'm I'm well able to adapt to a whole wide range of scenarios and situations and I just well, think, yeah, like I, are you a shapeshifter, like kind of you'd be whatever people want you to be? No, but I could be. Yeah. I could be. And in there you have to be. You know, if you're not in there, if, if 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 they if they walked in and if I walked into prison and they saw me, and I'm sure they did look at me and go, "Jesus, here's a soft touch coming in now," you know. So, like, I grew up, I grew up in my ass. Like, I I I know my way around. I'm not I'm not a complete idiot. Like, I was able to to fit in with people, and I kind of was able to align myself with people where I knew I'd be. I'd be safe, I suppose. Like, I, I just went into prison to mind my own business, to be honest with you. Like, I went in there a mess, a complete physical mess, as much as a mental one. Like, I couldn't I couldn't climb half a flight of stairs for you by the time I, when I was going into prison. Like, I was 29 and a half stone. I was morbidly obese. Um, literally morbidly. <laughs> and my mental health wasn't good either. You know, I remember the morning I was going to court it was a wet morning and I walked into town and it took me a long time because I could barely walk but you know crossing Sarsfield Bridge that morning I looked in and it looked appealing to me for a few minutes because I knew where I was going and I knew where I knew where the next at least what I thought at the time was going to be maybe two years of my life was going to be you know Did you find religion as well courtesy of Desi O'Hare the Border Fox? I I I wouldn't say I found religion. What I did was I rediscovered faith in insofar as I, I prayed a lot in prison. And it was he encouraged was, you was, on that road, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know who he was when he came to me first. I had no idea. And we became quite friendly. And he's, you know, we all have a past as far as I'm concerned, but he's a remarkable man, you know. Okay. A texter here says, I married a gambler. And it's always the side of the gambler we hear those around them are gravely affected. It's a terrible corrosive disease. You become a punch bag for it. Those around them are damaged as much as the gamblers. Did you ruin a lot of people's lives? Definitely ruined my parents. 
lives for a long time. I seriously impacted my sister's lives and my friends. I have, you know, I have, I have a very small group of friends to this day, but they've been friends of mine for 30 odd years, 30 more. And I don't know why. I'm just yeah. really lucky to have them. But I did have a huge impact on them and everybody around me. Yeah. So how do you live with that or how do you come back from that? Well, uh, now I, I suppose I, I've I've got a different outlook on it now. Like my dad has passed away. My mom isn't well. I have, you know, I I don't have the same family dynamic that I used to have. Um, and I have huge amounts of regrets around that. There's lots of what's ifs, what ifs. Um, it is tough, you yeah. know. It, it it is it is tough. Like I do, I do have a conscience. You know, I do, and and I was reminded. You know, I've done a lot of bad things, but I'm not a bad person. You know, and and the things I did, I believe, I genuinely believed that I, I did them, to fund an addiction, yeah, and nothing else. Um, how sure are you, 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 how, so how long are you out of prison now? Six, seven, six, seven months. Six, seven months. How sure are you you're not going to fall back into gambling and conning people? I'm not. Yeah. And that's been perfectly honest with you. I did it twice where I said, I've got this thing beaten. I will never say never again. I, I just can't do it. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, it's different today. I, I've, I've the hindsight of. I've the hindsight of spending almost three years in prison and a lot of that was through really tough times in COVID where there was a lot of isolation going on. Um, I saw a lot of things in prison that I'd rather not have seen and they're things that I don't want to see again. And my life is fairly simple today insofar as I know exactly where I stand and I do know the consequences of of doing it again. But also there's, you know, there's the whole consequences of my behaviours on other people and the effects that it has had on other people that I'm only coming to terms with for the last year or so. Yeah. And that's that sits with me. I'm doing my best on that. I'm working with a couple of amazing organisations around imprisonment. Um, I'm working with a, a chap in Galway called Damien Quinn who's a prisoner himself. Um, he's got an organisation called Spare Anua which works in advocates for prisoners with convictions who are finding it hard to get employment and things like that. And I also do some work with an organisation in Limerick called the Bedford Road Project, which is a charity that are, which works with families of prisoners. Um, so you're, so you're, you're trying to have a path yeah, to redemption trying to give something in back. some way. To bring it, yeah. Come here, can I admit something to you, right? Yeah. I was reading the book. Right. And then I, I don't know, at some point I thought, hang on, this is familiar. Right. And then I, I go and Google you and then I, I, I remember that I've seen headlines about you and your various scams and schemes and everything else. Right. Pat, I did read the book then and go, do I believe this guy? Do I believe any of this? Like, because these, you called them your skills earlier. Like yeah. you are a very good, you're a great lawyer and you're a great salesman and you're, you're, you know, all that. And yes, it was the addiction. But, and like, you seem very plausible to me here now and everything. Can I believe you though? Can people believe you? Or do you believe yourself? Or do you know? Believe myself because I'm the one that's lived it. Yeah. And 
I'm the one that has to live with it for the rest of my life. Do you understand? I do, hundred yeah. percent, and I don't blame you. Yeah, um, and I don't. I wouldn't expect you to. I wouldn't expect you to to think any other way. And that's okay. But that's, and you're not being Georgie no, like, right? That's fine. Just, that's yeah. that's look. That's something I have to live with for the rest of my life, and those are the consequences of my actions. I do know where I am today, though. I do know where my strengths are today, and they're strengths that I never knew I had before. Those are things that I intend on doing going forward. I can't change the past. None of us can. And we all have things in our past that we aren't, pr- we aren't proud of. Um, I have a lot more than many. Um, I have apologised for them as much as I can. Yeah. I can't keep apologising. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. to move on with my life at some stage. And I'm doing the best I can today. And that's all I can ask for. Yeah. How much of it would you put down to the gambling industry and the marketing of gambling and all that kind of thing? Well, my problem, not as much as, not as, much as others... Um, insofar as my gambling started a long time before the internet came out. But I wouldn't like to be starting off on my path today with what's available and the way the industry is marketed and promoted. Yeah. Because it's a really, really, really dangerous, dangerous place today. And a lot of texters asking, what advice would you give to, not to someone with a gambling problem, so much as a lot of people asking, give to someone with someone like him in their life, as one person puts it, or somebody who has a loved one who they can see has a problem? I don't know. Um, Like, I can't advocate for people like me because, I'll put it this way, I wouldn't... If if I had a daughter who brought home somebody like me, I'd probably be telling her to get rid of him, you know, and that's that's the reality of it. Yeah. Um the other side of it is everybody has problems, you know, and every everybody's problems are different. Gambling is an insidious disease. Yeah. And what people need to realise is that it is a disease. It's every bit as dangerous, if not worse, than alcoholism or drug addiction or any other form of an addiction. A lot of people, especially older people, can't understand that it's an addiction. They think, I should just give it up and, you know, why can't you stop gambling, for God's sake? It's not that easy. And it's it's nigh on impossible when you're an addict. And, you know, there is help there. And there's help there for people, uh, like family members of, of, of gamblers as well. There's gammonon groups, things like that. There's, you know, there there is help there. Yeah. Um but I suppose really just to try and encourage them to get as much help as you can encourage them with would be my advice. Yeah. Everybody has a breaking point. It's hard not, it's hard not to give up on people sometimes, but then you kind of think, you know, you can't give up on people either. I just want to read a couple of texts, Pat. I've never seen my gambling as a scam says this person but it is it's a manipulative scam we are ultimately only scamming ourselves I've only realised that today I'm conning myself more than anyone else that's the word I'll think to myself when I'm thinking about going gambling I'm so desperate to stop so few supports people don't really talk about it but I keep trying to stop and I've got another motivation seeing myself as a scammer Uh, Paul and Kerry says uh, Pat was your best guest ever Uh, another texter says I was scammed by Patrick I, while I wish him well, I'm not sure I believe a word he's saying. That's hard to hear, is it, when, uh, on the radio? Yeah, it is, yeah. And I got, a, I got a message on social media last night, the same thing, you know. Like, I've known that there is going to be backlash to this. Like, I didn't include everybody that I scammed in that book. I couldn't. I'd have been writing the book for the next 25 years. And that's the reality of it. 
Um, and, I, and like I said to you, I can only say sorry so many times. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I, I, I am, you know, genuinely sorry for what I've done. Yeah, a mayor listener says this guy's honesty is astonishing. Someone else says, what a brave man. Good luck to him. It's the gambling industry I blame. And someone else says, I used to say my father's gambling destroyed his life. But now I know it ruined our childhood and our family life. Just to finish up, uh, you put a note into your father's coffin. Yeah, I did. Um, I had a very fractured relationship with him all of my fault really um, over the years and thankfully in the years in the, especially in the 12 year period where I wasn't gambling I was able to mend a lot of fences with him I was able to to develop a relationship with him where we were friends you know and mm. again <clears throat> What did you say in the note? Just that I was sorry for, for how I treated him, for what I did, for the shame I brought on him, the money I cost him, and that I wasn't the son that he wanted me to be. But he continually told me I was, you know. And um, he didn't give up on you. No, he did not. And he he got into more arguments over me. And like my friends are the same today, you know. They've they've had my corner in pubs where people have come up, what are you doing drinking with him? He's this, he's that. And they're always the first that are there to, to defend me, you know. And that's what's important in life. And that took me a long, long, long time to realise it. But I have a different set of priorities today than I had, you know. I mean, I have to be so thankful for what I actually learned in prison. You know, from an education point of view, there's there's unbelievable, unbelievable work done in, in prisons that I, I can't speak strongly enough about okay. that gets, that does not get promoted as much as it should. Like, there's an education officer in the prison called Tom Short. He's Pat Short's brother, the comedian. Yeah. Tom does a Trojan work with all the schools. He's running an exhibition in Limerick this week with another fella that you might know of, Eddie Cahill. He'd be Martin Cahill's brother, the general. Okay. And Eddie learned his art in prison. And okay. you should see this stuff. It's 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 incredible, and that's the type of thing that people need to be hearing. They need to be hearing more about the the good stories that come out of prison rehabilitation and education because it's 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 huge. Like, okay, well, uh, Pat, I hope I hope you are one of those good stories, and um, that was uh, that was an extraordinary conversation. Uh, thank you very very much. Uh, the book is called 100 to 1 it's published by Gill Books and it's in shops this Thursday the 15th is that right Pat? Yeah uh, Pat Sheedy thank you very much and obviously uh, and, the, and the text coming in suggests a lot of you have been affected by the issues that Pat has touched on um, you'll find help at rte.ie forward slash helplines Pat Sheedy thank you very much we'll take a break